hopeless can have hope. And yet, there still exists so much hopelessness. I, I see it everywhere. Yesterday, I was returning home from a flight, uh, passing through Atlanta, uh, as I always do in my connection flights, and I sat next to a, a woman who, you know, just no seats left in the waiting area, and it was about 45 minutes until uh, the flight would start boarding. So I was there a little bit early, had a little bit of a delay between my flights, and I thought, ah, I'll get some work done. And I was just getting ready to get my laptop out and uh, just struck up a conversation with this lovely woman who was sitting just beside me. I started by apologizing to her, saying, I'm sorry, I'm invading your space. I don't mean to do that. But she said, oh, no, it's, it's fine. And she was very pleasant. But within a, a few moments, she was pouring her heart out. She, uh, she shared with me how she had lost a child. And she said she used to believe in God. She used to have hope. But she said, not, not anymore. Not anymore. And I, I was listening to her pour out her heart, and I li literally just let her talk for about 10, 12 minutes. And then I asked her a question. I said, I said would you be open to listening to just a few thoughts, a few words that offer hope. And I talked to her about Jesus. And at the end of the day, Jesus and his resurrection is the basis for all hope. And, and I can theologically explain, you know, why bad things happen, because God gave us free will. But that does not help a grieving mother. That, that does not return hope, the theology of it. And when I helped her see that life is more than the few moments, I asked her, I said, how, how long do you plan on living? She said, nobody knows. I, I said, well, of course not, but how long do you want to live? She said, I'd like to live to be 80. I said, that's cool. I said, my grandmother lived to be 100. And I said, but, but we all, this world, everything we see and touch and we're familiar with it, it's all going to end someday for all of us. I mean, the truth is, it's appointed on to man wants to die, but after this comes that moment before you stand in front of God. And I said, so if you take what we know and if you live to be 100 like my grandmother, the truth is when you breathe your last breath, the real you begins to live. You see, we, we just, we really, we know this here. I just don't know if we know it in our hearts. We know what the Bible says, that life's a vapor, it appears for a while, and then it's gone. But do we really believe that our real existence, who we are, the real us, is more than just these bodies, the senses we have? And I said, your child lives, and I've said this many, so many times, but there was a time when we were not, but after you're born, there never will be a time when you will not be. We will be someplace. And I believe that child is safely in the arms of God. 
And I, I tell you this from my heart to yours today because we're going to talk about probably the most sensitive area of hopelessness that I sense, that I witness, that I see in the world I live in today. And it, and it has to do with relationship. And, and that would be true with this mother to this child. But the, the, the hopelessness that comes when relationships become fractured, a spouse, possibly even a very close friend, but certainly when it's one of our children who are facing difficulties or problems, or even when our children break free from our orbit <laughs> and they begin to make choices for themselves. The story we're going to look at today is a story that is probably the most familiar uh, story of all the parables. Rembrandt immortalized it. One of the last paintings he did toward the end of his life, the prodigal. But in this story, there's, there's, a, there's some incredibly powerful insights into how we are so, supposed to respond. The hopeless issue, I don't have to convince anyone that we live around a lot of hopelessness. What I hope to get across today is some things that we can do in the midst of hopelessness. Uh, so today I, I want to talk very specifically because family hurt is such a raw nerve. I want to talk about hurt families. I want to talk about hope for hurting families. I want to talk about what we can do when we have kids who make bad choices and they're on their own, they've broke free from our influence and we're, it's like watching a train wreck. We're watching it happen. What are we supposed to do? Now, I want to give you just a little, a little sidebar advertisement before I, I get into the, the points from today's talk. Uh, probably, and this is another message and I'm not going to preach the other message but I'm going to tell you about an opportunity because one of the most important things we can do in our families as, as moms and dads, whether you're a single mom or you're a couple or a single dad, really the, the most important thing we can do is, is enrich ourselves spiritually, is to grow spiritually, to be the best us that we can be. Uh, I, I would suggest that if you're married, you want to be taking every chance you possibly can in, in order to... Uh, grow your relationship with Christ and with each other. And so uh, there's a partner we work with here. You've heard us talk about marriage mentoring. Uh, in, in partnership with this group, uh, we want to promote a seminar that is web-based. It'll come into your home uh, on March 23rd and 24th. You want more information on that, I encourage you to go to abt316.info uh, and the beauty of this, you don't have to get childcare, you don't have to get a motel and go somewhere or travel. Uh, this can be something that can be helpful to you. Round the basis to a better marriage. And so that, that is clearly one of the most significant things you can do to help create a home that is filled with love, that, that has a, a strong basis for the truth claims of Christ. Kathy and I found over the years, great value to going to seminars. In fact, we know by actual count, we, we went to one a year for a couple of decades. We've been to over 20 marriage seminars. And I know some of you are sitting there thinking, wow, you guys, your marriage must have really been messed up. 
But we, we didn't get off to a great start. I'll, I've told you that before. First five years. Difficult. Our wedding day. I know we, we, you guys all have things that have happened on your wedding day. Our wedding day was an absolute fiasco. Everything, everything that could go wrong went wrong. Uh, my mother, 20 minutes before being walked down the aisle as the mother of the groom, the dress, the zipper in the back, the seam that held the zipper in blew up. And my grandmother was there sewing her back into the dress a couple of minutes. Hurry, 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 they're getting ready to start. Uh, it just went, the cake was delivered. Now, I'm, I'm not a rocket scientist, I'm not an engineer, but putting a cake together, you get the biggest one on the bottom and then they get smaller. The, the people who assembled the cake got them out of order. And when I was putting, <laughs> true, when I was putting the ring on Kathy's hand in the ceremony, she had icing on her fingers from rearranging the cake. I mean, the sound wasn't right. I told you one time they had to mic the thing. It was the first big wedding in this brand new church building, and everybody knew Kathy. There were a thousand people there. And when I was lifting the veil to kiss her, uh, I hit the mic that was close. It was really not in the right spot. Certainly not my fault. But I hit the mic, and as I'm kissing her, the mic's going, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> we have it on a recording. The place is cracking up as we're laying one on her. I mean, it was a romantic, romantic moment. The preacher was so nervous, he forgot to pray. We had a Christian wedding and not one prayer. And we walked away going, our marriage doesn't have a prayer. <laughs> and so we started going to seminars. So I would just say, please, please, give it some thought uh, if you can work it out. Because hope, hopelessness sets in kind of like the darkness of night. It's a kind of dust to dark. It gradually creeps in on you. And probably the rawest nerve of all is when it comes to our family and our kids and our marriages and our relationship. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about family and especially about kids, raising kids. I'm in a small group now. Really, Kathy and I are not teaching it. It's a discussion group, and it's a lot of fun. We're talking about raising kids. But when I was younger, I had a message that I used to preach when I first started pastoring, and I looked it up. I have saved every message I've ever preached. Uh, why? I have no idea. They're all in binders somewhere. Uh, my kids are going to get to throw them away someday when I die. But the, the message, that I look back at some of the stuff I did on messages on family and raising kids. And before I had kids, I had this really cool message. Isn't it appropriate we're talking about kids right now? I had a message, and I looked it up, called How to Raise Godly Children. And I was quite an expert on the subject. And then Kathy and I became parents and had our first kid. And I, I looked it down through the files, and I found one the next time I preached on, mess, on kids and raising kids and how to do it. It was entitled Some Suggestions for Parents. Not quite as dogmatic. And then after we had three kids... 
I, I changed it, and I actually did a message called Feeble Hints to Fellow <laughs> Sojourners on How to Survive the Insanity of Raising Children. And uh, somewhere, somewhere along the way, I just quit preaching about raising kids altogether. <laughs> so I'm, I'm no authority, but God's Word has everything we need. Uh, I, I'm not pretending to be this guru that's going to tell you how to raise your kids, although Kathy and I look back and we've got three amazing kids who are adults who make their own decisions now, who love God, and uh, all three of them still like us, so we're, we're pretty blessed. But, but I, I can confess something to you when we talk about raising kids in Christian homes. One of the things that probably makes me think the most makes me contemplate, cause me to, causes me to think deep, deeply, is when I, I realize there's a lot of kids who are raised in church and in Christian homes who make bad choices, and from everything we see, it appears they're going away from God. And it, it causes parents to feel a sense of loss. And I think parents take on too much themselves, the burden of, what did I do wrong? I mean, the truth is, in the Bible, you can find some of the, the most messed up people who ever lived were raised in homes where their parents had it all together. David, the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, uh, ended up with a kid who, who raised a rebellion and tried to murder his own father. It happens in the Bible. It's happened in church history. Uh, and, and I'm not telling that to depress you. I'm just telling you the truth. Some of the godliest people, the best people I've ever met, their kids have gone off the deep end. And, and, and so it's just natural to ask the question, why? Part of our problem is we only see short term. We don't get to see the, 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 the whole story play out. God sees it from a higher elevation. But the truth is, there is that issue of free will. You, you don't have a magic wand that you can wave over your kids and say they will turn out okay. Because God gave them the same free will, and, and most of them are just like you and me. They're going to make mistakes. And so I know the, the short end answer theologically. But ultimately, I want to add another insight to this that will help you as parents. There's more going on than the moments you have with them or the moments in this world. Because the truth is, life is not measured by our lifespan, as I said earlier. We live forever. And this is just a blip. And our real existence goes on. And what we're really doing is preparing our kids for a good life here and the nasty now and now, but we're preparing them for real living. And that's eternal living. And so when we ask the question, why and what's going on, we've got to see this as God sees it. And we've got to recognize that, that the truth we gave to them will never, ever be something they forget. They can't get away from it. That's what Proverbs 22.6 is talking about. When it says, train a child up in the way they should go, and they won't be able to get away from it. Because it'll always be with them. And maybe it's not till after we're gone. But at the end of the day, they have to make choices. They have to decide for themselves. They have to make up their own mind. And this is a big lesson to learn. I, I, I know that... Once our kids get out of our orbit or we no longer can control them, I mean, Kathy and I were talking recently about, the, you know, looking back and how there's a moment when you realize 
you can't control your kids anymore. Uh, for us, it happened when they were about two years old. You know, we realized, oh, we're not in control here anymore. But the, the, it's usually a little bit later than that. But the truth is, they have to choose for themselves. So today, I want to talk about seasons, just like we have winter, spring, summer, and fall. Certainly, we who live in Northeast Ohio know what the seasons are, but I want to talk very quickly about four seasons that take place in all of our lives and what we're supposed to do to respond during each season. The first is found in our story of the prodigal is the season of I want. Now you've never, maybe never heard of this season before, but we're all born into this season, the season of I want. We want to be in charge. When a baby cries, the baby says, the baby's actually saying, I want, I want something to eat, or I want you to change my diaper, or I want you to hold me. That's pretty much those three things. But I want, I want, and they, cream, they scream and they cry. This season begins the day you're born, and for some people it continues their whole life. But ultimately, what God's love makes possible is we can go from that season of I want in our life to living a life of I want what God wants. Let's look at our story, and this is amazing how clear this is, but here's the prodigal, and here's the story. Luke 15, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. In this verse, you can see it. You can underline the words. You can circle them. You're in your notes. They're in God's word. But there it is. There's the phrase, I want my share. I want. That's the season of I want. That's what drives us. We want what we want. Uh, this guy took the money. Uh, thinking he jumped in his Cadillac, but he jumped on he jumped on his Camelac, and he headed down to Jerusalem to Sunset Drive in Jerusalem, and and he started spending money and having a blast. But the truth is, it was all about what he wanted. He wasn't thinking about his family. He wasn't thinking about others. Dad, here in this story, is much, it's much like God the Father. Let him go. And so what do you do when your kids or your spouse make choices? And you, you can't control it. You can't make them do what you want them to do. What do you do when you can't control things anymore? Here are three things. Write them down. Just go ahead and write down all three of them if you would, please. What do you do? You pray with hope. This series has been called Hopeless. But we who are believers believe strongly that hope lives. And so our prayer should always be filled with hope. Uh, this is where it starts. And if you don't get this, nothing else matters. Put your pen down. Don't worry about anything else. But if you really believe in prayer, if you believe that you're talking to the greater God of this universe who loves you, then really nothing else is going to make sense for you today. Uh, I was thinking about this just a few moments ago about how if I believed that in my bank account there was money and if I were hungry, how many of you get hungry? Anybody get hungry every now and then? Okay, you're hungry. There's no food in your house. 
You have no food, but you got money in your bank account. All you got to do is put the ATM card in and cash just comes. My kids, when they were little, just loved that. Just go get more money at the ATM. You know, that's the, that's the answer. But if you believe that and if you did, in fact, have money and you were hungry, who, why would you go hungry? You would go to the ATM, you would get money, you'd swipe your debit card, and you'd buy groceries. You'd draw on that money. And that is what I believe is the simplest way to understand that most of us, for the most part, don't really believe that God has what we need when it comes to prayer. Okay? Because if you really believed in prayer, you'd swipe that debit card. You'd get on your knees and pray. And so when your kids are in a season of I want, it's all about them. I want what I want. And they, you know what? They got so many places they can go online now to come up with all of the things that are wrong with Christianity. And, and you know what? I can spend the next 30 days. I told this particular woman I met in the airport she started spewing out some of this stuff. And I said, we can spend the rest of the day and I can, I can, I'm an authority on textual criticism and I can answer all those questions. There are, there are sound historical and intellectual arguments. I said, but you really don't need that now. You, need, you just need to be assured that God is taking care of your kid and that God cares for your kid. And every one of us need to leave here today knowing that God is a God of love. Even when there's hopelessness all around us, we have a God who cares. And, and if we believe that, well, go talk to him and tell him about it. And so you, what do we do during the season of I want? We pray. What else do you do? You teach and you model you know what, the, the most powerful thing we can do in our relationship, if you have a spouse who is making choices that are poor choices and they're using you, I mean, listen, none of this happens in a vacuum. I have never yet met a couple who didn't have plenty to go around between both of them, problems. But it's amazing how when there's problems, we only focus on the problems of the other person. Isn't that the way we are, truthfully? And so if you are willing here to accept that you have work to do, you can help those around you by showing them the way back to a life of unselfishness. And, and so today, I'm pleading with you. There are things we can do. When we're around others who are lost in the season of I want, we need to get ourselves right. And so teach and model by our actions. And then you leave room for people around you to mess up and fall. In other words, you realize you can't control it. You just, you're not in control here. And, and you let them fall. In fact, I want to just tell you this. If, if you can see this, this one little illustration as make, if it makes sense for you, you're going to walk out of here with a different view of this issue of this season of I want and how you can't control people. Because it's frustrating when you can't control people, especially if you were pretty good at controlling your spouse. And now they got tired of it and said, no more. 
and you get right or you start panicking, you need to model this and we who are watching it happen need to step back away and let people fail. You know your kids would have never walked if you hadn't let them fail? You learn to walk by doing what? You fall. And so as parents, we want our kids to walk. And you know, I remember when I were a bitty, I just thought, oh, I can't wait till they walk. And then they're walking and they're getting into everything. I said, oh, I wish they weren't walking yet. But you got to let them fall. And it's true in this season of I want. You got to get out of the way and let them fall. Uh, that's how they learn to feed themselves. Can you imagine you got a 17-year-old and you're still feeding them because you never let them wear a little food on their face? We had one of our kids actually took a bowl of oatmeal, put it on his head, and thought it was cute as it drizzled down. That's the first season. You got to let them fail. Number two, the season of waste. The season of waste overlaps, just like all seasons overlap uh, with the season of I want. This is really hard to watch. It's like watching a train wreck. You don't know what you can do. And I'm going to tell you what you can do scripturally. But here in the story, here it is, Luke 15. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he circled the word wasted. He wasted all of his money in wild living. There it is. He wasted his money. Now, we all have heard the term, that or that phrase, that person's wasting their life. That person's been blessed. They're wasting everything. And, and this is exactly what's happening in our story. And so when, when this is happening, whether it's your spouse or whether it's your kids, what do you do? You pray. Again, it's always going to start with you pray. With hope, that's how we started, and brokenness. Now your prayer is driven by a sense of, God, I'm watching this person mess up. This morning I, I met with seven men. We met together in, in uh, my office, and we had prayer for this service for you. And that room was filled with brokenness and tear, tears because there are people in that room who know people who are destroying their lives with bad choices, and so we prayed with hope and brokenness. Secondly, you, you let them go and let God work. This is not just letting them fail. You get out of the way. When you let them go, you don't come sweeping into the scene and, and pick them up and save them. Uh, this is hard to do. You, you keep bailing out your kids than the natural law of sowing and reaping. You see, God has put in place laws that when we mess up, there are consequences. But as parents, sometimes we come sweeping them off their feet, picking them up, dusting them off. We want to do that. But the consequences are designed to draw them back to God and to us. And so you, you let God do his work. Number three, you communicate consistently in love. Even in the worst of the season of waste, when somebody's messing up, you keep sending out words of love and compassion and kindness, not condemnation. Number three, the third season. The season of regret. You know, people live long enough breaking God's laws. If they know the truth, they ultimately, because of the conscience, 
they have or if they're saved, the Holy Spirit living in them, they begin to regret what's going on. I, I've got a good friend who, who's an alcoholic and I love him dearly, but he tells me, he says, every morning I wake up after getting drunk, I've got the worst headache and I am living in regret. But there's a big difference between regret and repentance. Uh, th- th- this is the season, though, the season of regret where people are filled with awareness. I'm messing up. My gambling addiction, I, I ministered to a person this last week whose gambling addiction caused their family to lose their home. Do, do you get that? Is there regret there? Yes, but this person still is gambling. You see, the season of regret is an awareness, but it hasn't fully evolved into repentance. Now, the good news is, in our story, the prodigal evolved from regret to repentance. You can see it in the story. Luke chapter 15, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. He says, I've messed up. Please take me on as a hired servant. That's humility. That is repentance. That's the example in this story. He just didn't stop at regret. It evolved into repentance. And so what do we do? Okay, here you go. Very quickly, you pray with hope and expectation. You know, it's an exciting thing to see the regret set in and the season come along in someone's life. But, but don't, don't think it's repentance. It's the beginning of repentance. You, you trust God's corrective measures. You give, again, God plenty of room to work, and you wait for regret to turn to repentance. Those three things. And, and so that repentance will cause something to happen. There, there will be a fourth season. I just would like you to write this down so I can wrap this up. And, and write down, if you would, very simply, that this is a season of restoration. Go ahead and write it down. A season of restoration. A season of restoration is a season when you virtually have an opportunity to engage with this person again on a level of, of making things right that were wrong, getting things right, making atonement. Let me read to you some verses from our story. And not all these verses are in your notes. The reference is, it's kind of a small font, so just listen in. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. That is so cool. Dad was watching. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Do you notice he, he, he didn't say, go take a bath first. He'd been in the pig pen. He hugged him, he kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. That's repentance. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe, the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf. We have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, and he has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. I love the way this ends. The party began. Let me share with you three responses that we can be a part of during this time of restoration, uh, this time of, of, of our, our loved one 
you know, coming out of a season of waste and they've repented. Here's what we can do. You, you need to pray with hope always, but with thanksgiving. This is a time to just thank God. You can forgive them completely. Now, this is where some problems evolve because sometimes during restoration, we want to do some I told you so's, uh, but you got to forgive completely. Forgiveness should have a short memory. And finally, you accept them unconditionally. That's how God forgave you and accepted you, is he forgave you unconditionally. Now, it may take time to, to restore the trust. People who mess up, don't, don't get me wrong here, I'm not just saying that you just totally trust again, but I believe with all my heart that it's an unconditional forgiveness. Let, let me share with you today something that is really important for me to say from my heart. And I felt it talking to this hopeless mother yesterday. I think it's very important that we ask ourselves as parents, as Christians, are we making it easy for people who are hopeless? Are we making it easy for people who are hopeless to make their way to God? When we are holier than thou and pompous in our spiritual behavior and pretend to be better than we all know, we're, we're really none of us that good. When we're the old Saturday Night Live church lady, we make it really hard for people to find God. We have a part in helping the hopeless by being transparent and honest and admitting that we face our own struggles. Because one of the greatest ways to show someone a pathway to God is to tell our stories of what God has done for us. We have a really cool season coming up right now. The Easter season is upon us. And, and this coming Sunday is a really neat moment, Palm Sunday. We're, we're going to celebrate the fact that we're just hours away from Christ going to the cross to make a redemption for us. And then the week later is Easter. But could I encourage you to pray right now for someone who's hopeless? Maybe you, you're living in hopelessness right now. But if Jesus lives, and he does, hope lives for all of us. I'm gonna ask you to bow with me for prayer. Would you do that right now? Thank you for listening today. We hope your heart was inspired. For more information or directions, visit us at abt316.com.